Well, isn't it great to have the choir back up here to hear them? And just, uh, it'll be great tonight. Hope that you'll be here, plan to be here tonight or tomorrow night uh, and, and enjoy the, enjoy the uh, musical. I, I think it's going to be really wonderful, and I appreciate these guys working so hard to present that. I think it'll be meaningful. Hopefully, not only can you come, but you could perhaps could bring somebody, some friend or neighbor or something along with you to enjoy this time together. <clears throat> My text today is found in uh, the first chapter of Luke, and we'll begin with verse 26. I uh, have thoughts of getting a long way through, and I couldn't get very, very far in the first service, so I don't, I'm not going to say how far we're going to go. Yeah, but we'll start with verse 26 of, of chapter 1 of, of Luke. Uh, I understand that they, they gave some information from the Alaska food and game people, and uh, what they what they said was that reindeer have antlers, both the males and the females have antlers, both the males and the females. Uh, but the males lose their antlers during the wintertime. And I know every time you see pictures of, of Santa Claus, you see the ones with the antlers, and so obviously it's the, it's the females. And one, one woman said, well, it just, it just goes to show you, only a bunch of women could drag a fat man in a red suit all around the world in one night and not get lost. And uh, that's kind of, uh, obviously, if, 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 if males were doing it, of course, they'd have to stop mass directions. Well, they, they'd get lost, but they would not stop at mass directions, right? So that's what happened. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here, and we pray that, pray that uh, we'll have a time of worship as we look into the Word. Uh, we've appreciated your attendance through these days, these tough days, and pray that pray that God will um, just the news of the vaccine uh, coming soon is good news, and we just uh, hope and pray that will help to bring an end to this pandemic that we're involved. I encourage you to pray. And we've got several people from our congregation that are involved in sickness of one sort or another right now, not all with uh, COVID-19 but one kind of problem or another in the hospital. And so we uh, ask you to keep each other in prayer uh, during this time. So let's look, look for a minute here at uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse, verse 26. And I want to say a word of prayer just before we begin, please. <clears throat> we love you, Father. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you at this particular time of the year when we celebrate your love for us. And we know how important this, this uh, coming of the Lord Christ is and the very center of, of history for us and the very center of our Christian life. And I just ask you to be with us this morning as we take a few minutes and look into your word. And I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the family was getting together. <clears throat> the husband could not be there because he was in the military. And because he was in the military, he was off overseas. Could not be there. So they planted uh, a big picture of him right in front of the tree as the family gathered around the tree. And a little boy, little boy said, wouldn't it be great if Daddy could step out of the frame of that picture and be here with us? Wouldn't it be great? Well, part of what we celebrate Christmas time is the fact that God has stepped out of the pages of Scripture and stepped out to be real and to be with us in the world in which we live today. I mean, God is all through the pages of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
and his stepping out and becoming a person like we are in order to, in order to uh, show us who God, who God is and what God is like and also in order to provide salvation for us is one of the most beautiful things that, that happened. Uh, these stories have been preached on so many times there's not a lot we could say that's new, and perhaps we don't need to say anything new. Perhaps we need to take another look at, at these stories. And we looked at Matthew chapter 1 last week, and today we'll look at, uh, at Luke chapter 1. And then the second part, Luke takes much more time with, with uh, uh, the birth than the other, the other Gospels. And so uh, next week we'll take a look at chapter 2 of Luke. So it begins here in verse, verse 26 of chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, let, just let me say the first part of the chapter is about uh, Zechariah, the, the, the priest, and he's ha had an experience with an angel while he's ministering. And the angel says, you're going to have a son. And he says, well, I'm too old. My wife's too old to have a son. Sort of the Abraham story all over again. I'm too old. My wife's too old to have, have a son. And he said, well, the Lord's going to provide this, this son for you. And he's going to be a forerunner uh, to the Messiah. And so miraculously, uh, they were able to, uh, Elizabeth got pregnant. And uh, she hadn't told many people at all about it because she was embarrassed. And because Zechariah had, had said to the Lord, he wasn't sure, how will we know that, that you're going to do this? Well, the angel said, okay, you're, going to be, you're, you're not going to be able to talk until the boy is born. And so he wasn't able to talk remember, until John was born. And they asked him what the name would be. And he said, well, the name will be John. Because they wanted to name him Zechariah, something after his father. The name was John. And, and that's what this first part of it. This is sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was, according to the words of Jesus, and also in the first chapter of Luke here, John the Baptist was, was the promised Elijah to come before the Messiah to, to pave the way for the Messiah. And uh, that was a great miracle. But the miracle of Jesus' birth was a greater miracle. And that's what we look at. And so it says, God sent the angel Gabriel. Gabriel, the same one that came to talk to Zechariah. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, this happened... I don't know. God is, God is so unlike we are in the world. And, uh, you know, you think, well, if a Messiah is going to be born, he's bound to be born in Jerusalem, right? Got to be born in Jerusalem. Nope. He's born in Galilee. Not just in, even in a small, small area there of, uh, around Jerusalem in Judea. No. He's born all the way up there in Galilee, that separated part that's way up there. Uh, I, I wonder sometimes if, 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 if the, Jesus were to be born in our day, in our time, uh, you know, he wouldn't be born in Washington, D.C. Uh, somebody this morning, I think it was the music director, said uh, nothing good happens in Washington, D.C. Well, anyway, <laughs> he wouldn't be born in Washington, D.C. No, he wouldn't. And he might be born in some far-off place like Galilee or like Texas and be born in a small town like Nazareth, that there's nothing special about Nazareth at all, except today, if you go there, there's the great, great temple that's built uh, to Mary, really. Uh, but other than that, there's nothing special about Nazareth. There was nothing special in that day. 
So God is at work, and God chooses to work with ordinary people. And God chooses to work through ordinary people. And he chooses to work sometimes from ordinary people in a small town like Clifton. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of God we have who is willing to do that sort of thing and work to ordinary people, which I find to be tremendously amazing, and uh, ordinary people in a place like this. So, uh, he, he, he came to talk to this virgin who was pledged to be married. She was betrothed. Back then they had, you know, the uh, families would, would decide who's going to marry whom. So they had about a year, and during that year they would get to know one another. And that, that year, the whole purpose of that year was, was to get to know one another. They did not, they did not uh, perform any of the marital things. Uh, no, no sexual relationship, nothing like that went on during this time. They just got to know one another, and then they would get married, and those things would take place. That, that, was, what, that was where they were when all this happened. And uh, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, uh, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Some of the older versions will add, Blessed, are, blessed are, are you among women, which is actually found in verse 42 there. Uh, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, traditionally, it's uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. You've heard that before. And uh, that's, that's the traditional thing. And the way it's said traditionally. Interestingly enough, hail or greetings, neither one really, really say what he was saying because what the angel started out saying was rejoice. Rejoice. This is something for you to be happy about. This is something for you to celebrate. Rejoice uh, because you uh, have found favor with God and this favor is very, very important. Then it follows up, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Now let's put this in perspective just for a moment. Stay with me just for a moment. Uh, they had not had prophetic utterances for 400 years. There had not been special events like an angel showing up for 400 years. 400 years is a long time. For instance, this country, the United States of America, is 244 years old. Uh, the first pilgrims who came to Jamestown arrived 390 years ago. That gives you a little perspective about what we're talking about. And here's this, this girl who was obviously a very uh, fantastic uh, believer in God, uh, a really uh, great believer in God. Here's this girl, and she's in this town, a small town. She's, she's unknown. She's an ordinary person, an ordinary town. And this angel is speaking to her. And in the Old Testament, when an angel showed up, if you remember, uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, Joshua, when, when, when an angel showed up, they got afraid and they fell on their face. And the angel would say, well, get up and stand on your feet. I will, I've got a message for you. But they'd fall on their face. It, it, was, it was a powerful thing. It was not just something that, you know, uh, sometimes we drive along and we say, well, God spoke to me today as, as if God's our big buddy sitting up beside us or something. And that misses, that misses the picture that was there in the, in the Bible up at this time. It was a very scary thing. And so here's this angel talking to her and giving her a message. Of course she was troubled. And she was worried about it and all this. He told her, he told her not to be worried. 
He said, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor or grace with God. Behold, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. Uh, you found favor with God. And it's, uh, you know, the word is actually grace. It reminds me of, uh, of the story of Noah. You know, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Strongly support those, even those ordinary folks, these common folks, come from common towns and, and places around, maybe things that, that are not at the center of, of everything that's happening. He's finding those people strongly support. And said, Mary is like this. She's been found, and God is going to bless her by using her in, in a unique and, and powerful way. Then verse 31, uh, my translation has completely left out the first word there. Uh, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, that's good. But there's a word before that that should be translated something like, behold, or listen, or look, something important is going to happen. And gives the message, behold, you know, you shall conceive, give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. Now last week, I talked to you about the names that, that Matthew used, the names of, uh, of Jesus. And, and if you'll remember, uh, he started with the Messiah, then the Son of God, and then Jesus, and then Emmanuel. That's the way, that's the way uh, Matthew did it. But Luke writing is, you know, Luke is an outsider. He's a Gentile like, like you and I are. And, and, and as a Gentile, he's writing as an outsider. And the Messiah thing's probably not as big a deal to him as it was to those Jewish people that Matthew was writing to. And so he starts with the word Jesus. Now, you remember last week I told you that word is, is the Greek translation of Joshua in the Old Testament. And Joshua means the Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. So I think it's, I think it's important that we, that we understand that when Luke is writing about this, the first name that he gives to Jesus is Savior. That's the first word. You see, to the Jewish people, they had this idea that, that when the Messiah came, he would come, come like some kind of, of general, and it would be, he, would, he would lead a, a, a great revolution and would form a great, a great nation, and the whole world would be under this, this nation. But Jesus didn't come that way, did he? And I think when we talk about the Messiah, we talk about the coming of the Lord, we, we can really resonate with the fact. Let me tell you, Jesus did not come to create a worldly kingdom. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Jesus came to bring salvation. And that's exactly why he comes. And that's where, that's where Luke starts. He's Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the Lord saves. He's the one that comes to be the Savior. Now he goes, goes on beyond that and speaks about him being the Son of God, verse 32. He says, Son of the Most High, which is the same as the Son of God. And, and uh, over in verse 35, he is, actually uses the term Son of God. And then finally, the third term he uses is Messiah. It's, it takes third place, according to Luke. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, you remember the promise that, that God gave to David. Your descendants will be on the throne forever. 
your descendants will be on the throne forever. And, and that promise, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's the Messiah part that, that's important. I, I, I cannot personally uh, look at this passage and, and read this passage. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. When this world is gone and God has created a new world and a new earth, his kingdom will carry on. And those of us who are a part of that kingdom, we will continue to carry along, ride along with him as a part, part of that kingdom. I, uh, I, I'm not a musician, but I like music. And uh, I appreciate music. As a, as a, a preacher, as a, a person that deals with words all the time, I tend sometimes to be more concerned about the words than the actual music of it, and, and the words mean a great deal to me. But the best, as far as I'm concerned, and, and I, I didn't ask you in between if you appreciate what I said, I think the best piece of music, my personal opinion, best, greatest piece of music that's ever been written is a part of Handel's Messiah. Now, a lot of Handel's Messiah is crypt, cryptic and it's hard to follow, but when it comes to the Hallelujah Chorus, I think it's the greatest piece of music that's ever been written. And I, I, I want to, reading that he will reign, this, this, this Jesus who is to be born, this Christmas celebration, this Christ, this Messiah, this Son of God, he is the one who will reign forever and ever. Th those words just seem to get me. And, and in Handel's Messiah in the Hallelujah Kingdom, uh, Hallelujah Chorus, it speaks about his kingdom in this way in Revelation chapter 11. This is where Handel got the, the, the words for the Hallelujah Chorus. It says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You know how it goes. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever, forever and ever, forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. People stand up when they sing hallelujah chorus, don't they? People stand up. And I cannot even listen to the hallelujah chorus without crying myself. He will reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And in the new heaven and the new earth, he'll reign forever. And praise be to God, those of us who belong to him will, will, will be a part of that kingdom forever and ever. Hallelujah. Well, that's what, that's what Luke's talking about over here. Verse 33 of chapter 1 of Luke. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary asks a very legitimate question at this point. How can this be? How can this happen? And so she says in verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The actual translation would be, I have never known a man. She was known in the way that they used it back in that, that, that time. She means, I've never had sex with a man. That's what it means, exactly. How in the world can, can this happen? Because I've never had sex with a man. And the angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on. It, it's a holy act. It's a holy act of God. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born 
to be born would be called the Son of God. He uses the Old Testament, the Old Testament picture of God, where God always showed up in the cloud. You remember when he was the cloud on the top of the mountain, and Moses went up on the top of the mountain. You remember when they they finally dedicated the tabernacle. The cloud of God's presence came and filled the tabernacle. Do you remember when they built Solomon's temple and dedicated Solomon's temple? The cloud of God's presence came and filled. This was the presence of God. The cloud showed the great presence of God. And at the, at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that day there was a cloud so thick that, that they could not see the sun. God was present on that particular day, that day of, of uh, salvation, that day of sacrifice to provide us salvation, forgiveness of sin. God's presence. And so he uses holy terminology. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy One born of you. And, the, and God will overshadow you. The presence of God will be there. Now, now that particular world had all of these Greek uh, legends. And in these Greek legends, these Greek gods would have sex with, with a human being. And, you know, many of the legends are about uh, the, the, the result of that Luke seems to be smart enough to know that. And he seems to be smart enough to understand that I need to, I need to let you know this is not one of those legends. This is a holy act. Something very unique. Something only, only God could do. It will overshadow you so the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. This holy act. And then the angel tells her about, about Elizabeth. She evidently didn't know about Elizabeth up to that point. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive within her sixth month. And then, uh, my version is up there on, on your screen. It says, no word from God will ever fail. And that's true. That's biblically true. You can find that in, uh, in a lot of places. No word from God will ever fail. That's just not what it says right here. And uh, the reason they send people like me to seminaries to, to be able to study uh, original languages, and what it says is, and what most of your translations say, I don't know why this translation has to change it, what most of your translations says, nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Not even having a child without having sex, that's not impossible with God, because God is God. And as he created man in the first place, with Jesus Christ, he is creating the new man. And the new man that we all have relationship with in Jesus Christ. That is something we need to understand. And then verse 28. The, by the way, the central figure here in this story. Listen to me. The central figure here in this story is not Mary. And the central figure is not the angel. The central figure in this story is God. You see, God had a plan. And he had a plan from the beginning. And in Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the time was fulfilled, when the time came, then he sent his son, born of, born of a, a, a woman, born under the law, that he might save those of us who are under the law. And then in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it talks about the lamb that was slain from the beginning of the world. God had a plan. And God was working his plan. And folks, God is working his plan today. And there is a future to this plan. There's a new heaven, a new earth coming. 
and there's a kingdom that will reign forever and ever. God has a plan. I'm not saying everything that happens comes from God. I don't believe everything that happens comes from God because there are many forces that are, that, that are against God in this world. But I want to tell you, in the midst of it all, God is at work, and God has a plan, and God's plan will come about when the time comes. And part of what we understand is celebrated Christmas time is that God's plan is working in this world. And we need to see, we need to understand the working of God's plan in this world. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. And the word for servant is the lowest, lowest word. Uh, some, some of your versions would say handmaid. It's a pretty good word. This was a doulo service, the lowest, lowest level of servanthood. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to, to me be fulfilled. And... Um, Traditionally, that is, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. I had a friend that was a pastor, and he was burned out. He went to one of these spiritual retreats. And I've been to a spiritual retreat. We may have some people here who have been to spiritual retreats. But what, what happens is you go to some place where you're all by yourself, and just yourself and your Bible and maybe a couple of other books, something like that. And you have a spiritual guide, and your spiritual guide will lead you as you come to, he was he was frustrated. This this preacher was frustrated. He was burned out. Uh, he was angry. Um, you know all the things that. Well, you know preachers don't have that kind of problem. You realize that, right? But he was all those things that we should not be. And he went to this place, and his spiritual guide came, and his spiritual guide said, "I want you to concentrate this week on this verse, the words of Mary. Let it be to me according to your word." Let it be to me according to your word. In that spiritual retreat, he was transformed. And because he was transformed, his, his ministry was transformed, changed. And made, I've, I've been to spiritual retreats. And I've, I'd, I'd be glad to recommend them to you at some time. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's, I mean, you're alone with God. You don't have all the stuff that you always have, no TV, no books, uh, you know, all the stuff that maintains our... our those spiritual retreats can be, can be very meaningful. Well, I got to get to this last part. I don't know how far I'll go because we got a little business to do here. But I got to get this last part. This is in, uh, verse 39. Uh, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, she didn't even know about Elizabeth until the angel told her. Elizabeth and Zechariah were kind of quiet about th that pregnancy. She didn't even know about it until, uh, and, and what's more important than that, I want you to catch this, what's more important than that is the fact that Elizabeth didn't know the angel had visited Mary, and Elizabeth didn't know anything about Mary. Mary did not tell her that it happened. None of that had happened. See, none of that, she hadn't told him anything. But look what happens here. When Elizabeth, did verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was affirmation. This was tremendous. She didn't tell Elizabeth she had talked to an angel. Immediately when Elizabeth saw her, the, 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 the baby leaped in her womb. And if you look back at chapter 1, verse, verse 17, it says, um, it says uh, no, verse, excuse me, verse 16. No, verse 15. Talking about John the Baptist. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So this, this 
child that had not yet been born, filled with the Holy Spirit, saw that the mother of the Lord had come, and the child leaped in one, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she announced this, this great announcement. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 42, in a loud voice she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Nobody had told her about this, this meeting between Mary and the angel. Blessed is the child you will bear, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, when God leads us into something, then God affirms us. What I learned many years ago was, was you know, if we feel led by God, if we start taking shaky steps and being led by God, then God will either affirm us because he knows our heart. God will either affirm us or he will stop us and turn us in another direction. I remember when I went for the church, to, uh, I was still in the Marine Corps and uh, trying to go to seminary. I had to go before church to get an affirmation so I could go to, to the seminary. Y'all been to, some of y'all been to that. Gave my testimony and all. One of the men said, have you been called to be a preacher for the rest of your life? I was just as honest as I could be. I said, I said, sir, the only thing I can tell you for sure is I believe God wants me to go to seminary. But as I took those, as, as I can look back on it now and say, sure, God called me to pastor. But what happened is I took those faltering steps of faith, as I took those faltering steps of faith, then the Lord affirmed it for me again. That's what happened to Mary. I don't know if Mary needed to be affirmed or what, but I know God provided that affirmation for her through what happened with Elizabeth. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture if you'll pick up on that. I don't want to miss um, verse uh, in verse 44, she says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Even with Mary, even with, with the direction of God, there still had to be the response of faith. Isn't it interesting that Mary had to respond with faith? And a part of Elizabeth's message to Mary was, you know, you are blessed because you did respond with faith. God put his hand on Mary. God wanted to use Mary to do something nobody else would ever do. But she still had to respond in faith, and she did respond in faith, and that's beautiful. Sorry I don't have time for the rest of this passage. Um, we probably said most of the things that need to be said already. Uh, my dad used to say when he's preaching a sermon, if he didn't have time to get through, that the Lord was through, so he better quit. Uh, I want to say this. The bottom line, I said it last week, I want to say it again. The bottom line about Christmas is God has come to save us. God has sent his son to save us. God has sent the Redeemer, and we must receive him. We sang Old Little Town of Bethlehem a few minutes ago. We didn't sing the third verse. And uh, if you can put the third verse up there on the screen for me again. This third verse, I think, is beautiful. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given so God imparts to humans' hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. In the middle of everything, and I... You know, on a rainy day, late December, I probably preached in the choir ever since today.
But if there's one person here who's not received the Savior as your personal Savior, make this Christmas the best Christmas of your life and invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and become your Savior. Let's pray together. Thank you for this message, Lord. Sometimes we feel like we really don't have the, the words, the grace, and everything to present this message in the way it deserves to be presented. And Lord, we've heard it so many times, it's lost its power for many of us. Could you awaken that power within us to catch again the glory of this, this wonderful season that we celebrate at this time? And I pray there'll be one person here who's never received Christ as their Savior. Lord, you'd touch their hearts. They would respond and invite Jesus Christ to come into their hearts. And I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we've got a bit, a bit of business that we need to take care of here. We've announced this. We've let Gary, if you want to come up, please. We've announced this. We've made it 